Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. And I am delighted to welcome back to the show um, someone who's become a good friend, um, author and therapist, Andy Culver. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me again. You're absolutely welcome. It's oh, it's so good to have you back on the show. Uh, since the last episode you were on, your book's come out. We talked about your book on the last episode, Try Softer. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Yeah, just go and get that book right now. <laughs> Pause and go and get the book and then come back and listen to this episode. <laughs> It's so good. Um, I was just saying that it's the first book I've recommended that loads of my friends and my family have been telling me, like, where can I buy this? Where can I buy this? It's so good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, thank you for writing that book. <laughs> yes, it has been, it really has been such an honor. And, and it does encourage me so much to hear, you know, um, just even from you, that it has been impactful for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah it really has there's so much it combines uh kind of science and therapy and faith in this really great way and even memoir in some ways as well so uh yeah yeah um and today uh you're on the show and we're going to be talking a bit about grief i think Uh, i'm doing a series on grief on this show because it's just a it's a topic that's close to my heart. It's something that I care about a lot, and I think it's really important that we explore and talk about it more. And obviously yeah. something I have experience of as well, as regular listeners will kind of know from my story. Uh, my, my mother died about 20 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and obviously it makes sense to talk about talk to a, a trauma-informed therapist about, about grief, um, especially with your own experiences of grief as well and your own story. So, um yeah, so, I mean, tell us about your experiences of grief, like, just, just just as a kind of way into this. Yeah, well, I mean, I think grief for me, I'll say a couple things. First is, is that grief has sort of been the way in to, for me about how I even really got interested in trauma. Um, because what I found when I was um, a really young therapist, and I was even back in school, I was an intern is that I was attracted to working with people who are experiencing grief. And I thought, man, this is strange. <laughs> like, why, why is it that, you know, like I was, I just felt like this sense of wanting to be with them and to sit with and to honor the grief. And I didn't, I didn't have a lot of other, like I didn't have the understanding that I have now around just like the physiological processes of grief, which in many ways, um, trauma work and grief work very much overlap. And, and um, they are distinct. But what makes them similar is that grief tends to be a process. Grief is, you know, the, the compilation of experiences of um, like the reaction to the loss of whatever that is, of whatever we're grieving. And so the more important, the more significant something is, mm. it makes sense that then the reaction, the sensations, the, the emotions, the, the significance is larger. And, mm. and where that's similar to trauma work is that 
it's like our bodies have to actually sort of metabolize trauma. And in the same way, our bodies metabolize grief. Because it's rooted in emotion. It's rooted in our body being able to process emotion and move through it. Now, with grief, though, it's a natural process. It, it simply is. Like, there, it's not, um, we don't diagnose grief. Um, grief is not in the DSM, which is the diagnostical statistic manual, you know, that people use um, to say this is what you have um, in terms of a, a diagnosis. Grief is a natural human process that, that occurs, that I believe is God-given, so that we can move through pain. And so I just, I partly share that with you because it's such an interesting thing that that in many ways my trauma, uh, professionally, my trauma uh, interest started with, I remember a supervisor said to me, if you're interested in grief, you're going to love trauma. Hmm. And what a weird thing, right, for someone to say. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, what I got what she meant, and I get it now. Because understanding it, honoring it, being with it is a great honor to me. Um, and it is something I am, I am truly, like, professionally, like, I'm attracted to it in many ways. Um, and so... And that's probably going back to your original question, which is my experiences of grief. <clears throat> and I think my experiences of grief um, have been, I would say, more along the lines of what I would call a lot of ambiguous loss. <laughs> Meaning it's, it's less that I've had. I mean, I've certainly had people around me um, die. I've had people, I've had grandparents die. I've, I had, I've had friends um, actually, a dear friend, when I was a, a freshman in college, died in a car accident. Ooh. And that Sorry. that toppled me. Like, it, it was profoundly painful. Um, but what I've come to understand is that I had so much, I have a lot of grief from, and, and grief that I have in many ways moved through, but often come back to still honor from my childhood. My childhood of um, parents who weren't able to give me at times what I needed emotionally, um, the trauma around relational and attachment trauma, and beyond just the trauma that is the grief, the grief of what we needed or what maybe for me what I needed and didn't get, mm. or times when I needed people to be there for me, to advocate for me as a child when I didn't get that. Mm. Uh, the ways I've had to grieve what I wish that my family of origin could have been like, and it wasn't. Yeah. And so, and so you see, when I got to be a, a professional therapist, the thing was is I was well acquainted with grief. I was well acquainted because I had really grown up with lots of ambiguous um, loss and grief. Yeah, it's really interesting when you talk about that because my childhood experience was very similar almost identical you know I would there was you know I've mentioned it on the show but like my mother had a was very ill when I was when I was young and so and everything changed in our family as a result of that 
she became a different person in a way. So there was a grieving of a loss of a life that we could have had, and that we and a grieving of, for her of a loss of a life that she wanted. Uh, and yeah, and then there was the grieving of not having the parenting that I sh- maybe I should have had, and of the loss of something. Yeah, there's, there's just there's a lot of grief. Grief has just been part was part of my childhood trauma. Uh, and I only just realised this recently as I started exploring grief a lot more that that's really, you know, it wasn't just losing my mother when I was when I was a young adult that was the grief. It was the, all of it was grief, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this series was because we all experience grief in so many different ways and we don't realise it a lot of the time, and we need to learn how to process grief in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good point, and I think. Again, like, there's a sense in which grief is integral to just emotional regulation in the Mm -hmm. sense that we have to feel what we've lost. Like, we have to allow ourselves to feel the pain of what what we've lost. Mm -hmm. And when we don't do that, we actually block off all our other emotions, too, you know? Just like every other type of emotional regulation, like if we're trying to stunt, um, you know, like I'm not anxious and we suppress it, it's like it comes out sideways. Um, or I'm not in pain and we, we just we ignore it or suppress it. Um, we cut ourselves off from a lot of things. We cut ourselves off from joy and we cut ourselves off from the full spectrum of emotion. And the same is true with grief. Like, when we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotions connected to our grief, we cut ourselves off from our own humanity. And that's a big price to pay. Mm. Um, you know, that, that it really requires us to be less than human. Um, and yet I have such deep compassion. Because just like what you're saying, you are also well acquainted with grief. And, man... That's hard, and that's heavy to mm. live with that. And, you know, I think what has become clear to me is that part of what we can learn is how to move into the grief and how to give ourselves permission to have time out of the grief. Oh, yes. Yes, that is so true. I've told so many people my a lot of my story is has been learning about how to instead of building structures around my pain like religious certainty or or like or like overeating or anything like that is to instead build a structure into your pain where you like a well where you can climb down into it and then you can yeah. come up again without it ever having the power to control you yeah. and that's to say it's i mean grief is part of that it's learning to go in and out of grief without the grief actually controlling your decisions or your actions or how you live your life uh, and that's a healthy relationship with your grief because you're acknowledging that it's there and you're acknowledging that it's powerful and that it's painful, but you're not allowing it to control you. Um, yeah. And you acknowledge that it has the power to control you if you let it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good point. And, <clears throat> you know, I think the one thing I might add, though, is that for folks who have a history of trauma... Sometimes, even though ultimately we we can learn to have choices, 
often when we're not aware of our of our pain. Mm. That's when yeah. we sometimes feel like we don't have a choice because our body's responding to the intensity of that grief. Um, and that can push us outside of, you know, we, I know you and I have talked about this in the past, but the window of tolerance, right? So mm. the window of tolerance is that range in which we can tolerate what we're experiencing physiologically or the sensations we're experiencing or the emotions. But once we go outside of that, we go into either fight or flight or dissociation, or, or it can look like depression. And the thing about grief is, I mean, it can look different for, for people, right? Like, have you, you've probably seen people who get really angry around their grief. You've probably seen people who run from their grief, right? So that's fight or flight. And then when those things don't work, we often go into dissociation or what we could, or, or sort of a sort of depression, right? And that's what most people are sort of often think of with grief is that sort of heavy trudging through mud with wet blankets on you, like kind of heaviness. And that can often be connected to this idea that it feels too big. We feel trapped in the grief because fighting the grief won't maybe bring the person back. Hmm. Learning from the grief doesn't bring the person back. So often you feel trapped in the grief. And that's where that dissociation might come up. And, and I just bring that up because I think understanding how our body might be physiologically reacting can give us some compassion hmm. for, for ourselves. That, that's even a clue that, you know, a lot of times I'll say things like, it's good to feel our feelings. And it really is. Hmm. But if it's too big and too heavy, we actually need a break. So that we can get back in our window of tolerance, and we might need to take that grief in a smaller, at a smaller, like a smaller bite or a slower pace, so that our body can handle what's coming up for us. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, we need to. Yeah, it's it's so important to have grace with yourself mm. when you're grieving. Especially when you're in the midst of it, when it's, when it's, when you're in the really low moments, you know, when it's when you're when you're kind of in or in the immediate aftermath. Like, I remember the immediate aftermath of my mother's death. I was like, for ten days, I didn't I didn't get emotional. I was just numb, basically. Yeah. in shock probably and yeah. trying to be strong for everybody else because I thought that was my job mm. you know <laughs> um, yeah. it's so funny looking back because everyone was like oh James you're so strong you know I really admire you for being so strong after what's happened and actually I think I wasn't being strong at all I was just I was just in shock and I was just trying to keep it together because I because yeah and me and then, like, I remember I've told this story before where we were preparing for my mother's funeral and we played one of the songs that she loved. Um, and music is always really emotive for me. Like, it just it breaks me every time. And I broke down. Like, <laughs> and I apologised for breaking down because I was like, I've got to be strong, I've got to be strong. Like, and my sister's like, no, <laughs> just cry, it's okay. This is good. This is a really good thing. And ever since then, I've been able to cry. And I, I, I cry a lot now. Like, um, like, yeah, almost too much. <laughs> um, yeah, I get emotional quite a lot, especially with music. 
you know when music reminds me of my my story or whatever that that's a that's a a big thing so yeah you're right i mean there's, there's that kind of you've got to have grace with yourself um and say it's okay it's okay to not have it all together it's okay to kind of get emotional it's okay any reaction when you're doing when you're in the immediate aftermath of the grief that is okay we all grieve differently there's no correct way to grieve grieve there's no incorrect way to grieve like i i actually heard a story of a youtube video where somebody laughed when their partner died that was their instinctive reaction that was their kind. That was their body's way of protesting the grief, um, and they weren't happy. <laughs> but that's just what their body did to mm-hmm. respond to the grief. And it turns out there are a lot of other people who do that as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting how we, we respond to grief, and it's important we have grace with ourselves as we do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know, it, it can just be so profoundly disorienting. You know, I mean, it's, it's like part of, there's so many elements, there's so many things about grief that are hard. And one of them is that our present experience gets completely altered, you yeah. know, like that yeah. the world as we know it is changing. It has yeah. changed. Yeah. And, and a lot of, you know, part of what I, you know, people have, have different ideas about the grief process and all this, but. To me, what I have found to be the most clear way to talk about it is that grieving is the process of moving towards acceptance. And whatever, like, anything in between there is it. (laughs) Like, that's grief. So, so yeah, it might be laughing and it might be anger and it it might be sadness and it might be feeling immobilized and it might be feeling um, any emotion at all. And... And that really what, where we're trying, the, the purpose of grief is to move us toward a place where, not that we're happy it happened, but that we can recognize and accept that it did. Because it's the acceptance that allows us to create a world and a narrative after after the loss, you know? Mm. And so, like, for me, and, and so childhood stuff, it's like, it's not that, it, for me, because there's so many layers of childhood stuff, there are times where I think something just causes me grief. And as much as processing as I've done in my life, I still feel that some grief, you know? But, um, but there's a sense in which I have also found a place where a sense of, of, I would almost call it peace, that this is, it's not that I'm happy, it's not that I'm glad, it's that it did happen. And because that's true, I have the opportunity in the here and now, as a person who has, who is willing to honor what's happened already, but also is able to say, so how can I love myself and sort of even give myself at times what I didn't get then? Like, for me, that's what it looks like to accept Mm. the reality of my life, is that I am able to say, yes, that was true, yes, at times times it's even still painful, and now I have some choices about 
how I move forward. Yeah, and, and I guess that, that brings in self-parenting, which is it's something you talk about in, in your book as well, uh, a lot, where where we can learn to parent ourselves and we can learn to communicate with you know our inner child and mm-hmm. like and that's something that I've done a lot a lot of work on and you know I've kind of found all these different parts of myself these different almost characters in myself like the the inner child and the the teenager and the the kind of the young adult kind of you know all of these different parts of me and they all have different wounds that have to be acknowledged and like it's really well from experience like when you start to self-parent and just talk to these parts of yourself and to nurture them and love them and and acknowledge their pain it really is so helpful Mm. um now talk to us a bit about that actually that's a really Mm -hmm. interesting thing yeah i mean so you know all of us in a sense have have some parts i mean even folks who would not necessarily say that they have maybe childhood trauma but those of us who have experienced trauma are going to have parts that maybe have deeper wounds. And and when that happens, it's like, and maybe let's say something in our life, in our here and now adult life happens, it's really common for a younger part of ourselves to get activated and to sort of need something from us. And that's sometimes how... You know, when people maybe get, you know, they do things and they, they feel like, oh, that doesn't feel like me. I don't even know why I said that or I don't know why I did that or um, I can't believe my reaction was so good to that um, because when I'm sort of reconnected to myself, that's not actually how I really completely feel. Mm. And so I just share that because those are often indicators of a younger part of ourselves acting out, saying, I need, like, I need you, basically. I, I need to be to be loved, to be parented. And so a lot of, you know, even in trisopter and, and oftentimes with my clients and things like that, I kind of help folks to learn to listen to their story and to their body and to what their emotions might be communicating to them about what they need. And so, you know, in, in trisopter, I talk about this phrase, compassionate attention. And that's really sort of this way that we are able to be with ourselves where it's sort of like our adult self, who's sort of the part of us who can can do the reparenting, is able to observe where we're maybe in pain or what, like, maybe something feels awfully familiar to the time we were 10 and we got bullied, or maybe something feels awfully familiar to all the times we got shamed as a kiddo. And it's almost like that older part of ourselves is really soothing and nurturing um, the younger part who's hurting. And really on a, on a neuro, like biological level, what we know is that that actually sends like calming um, sort of, uh, you know, basically like chemicals that helps us to sort of settle our nervous system when we do things like that. And so... The reality is is that this is helpful for things around grief, too, right? Because if we have childhood trauma or childhood relational wounds or childhood attachment wounds, and then we, and then we go through loss as an adult, it is really common for our childhood wounds to get triggered 
when something in our adult life happens. And something like grief or loss is very typical for to do something like that. Um, and so oftentimes it's like it is so important to really listen to those younger parts of ourselves who feel like, you know, who really feel like um, so out of control or so alone or so lost or so shamed or so worthless. And to, and to be able to give and listen with compassion to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, and it's, it, yeah, it's really, it's really, really important work to do that. And it's part of grieving. If you have a, if you have a grief experience in your childhood or early adulthood, it's absolutely vital. Like for me, it's, it's really helped in processing that. Like, that's how I realized I was grieving the loss of, a life that I could have had, that that experience when I was eight years old, I didn't realise that was a grief experience until I started talking to that child, and he was like, and I started to realise, oh, you lost someone, mm. you lost your mother, like the mother that you'd grown up with for eight years, yeah. and she became diff- different. She became different. She was still your mother, but she was different, and yeah. the life you had was over. Yeah, and. And like no wonder you feel so, so so afraid of trusting people. And no wonder you're so, you know, so one, no wonder you have so much anger and pain, um, and unresolved grief because 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 that was a big loss. That was like losing a parent, almost. Sure. You know, um, so yeah, that's why it's so important we do that because um, we all, as like I said, we all experience grief like we. Collectively, individually, you know, we 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 haven't grieved well, and I've, I've said this before in this series that like one of the reasons that we're in the mess we are in, like politically, um, like in in the states and in the UK as well, it's because we we haven't grieved well as a culture. Mm. We haven't grieved things that have gone. Like we didn't, like we didn't. We in in Britain we didn't grieve. The change, the things that happened after the Second World War, where we, we're not an empire anymore. We're not what we, we used to be. We're not, we're not that Great Britain we were. You know, um, mm-hmm. the loss of kind of our cultural identity in some ways. And America, like, for, you know, there was, they, they they hark back to this golden age of um, the eighties or whatever. You know, like, and where America was really powerful and rich and everything was great and and you know um like make america great again it's like it's like it's like saying oh your grief doesn't have to you don't have to grieve anymore i can make i can take you back to that place as if that time was still happening now you know so it's all like people manipulating grief to get people to vote for them basically you know and that's why there's so much i guess that's why there's so much anger around all these people and so much division is because people have a lot of stored up grief and it's not just cultural grief it's their own grief that they're not processing like why is it when someone famous dies that there's just such this outpouring like princess diana i heard someone else i think peter rollins said this when the reason there was this there was this great outpouring of grief when princess diana died wasn't just because she was well known it's because everyone had now had permission to 
let go of their own grief that they were carrying from their own lives. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, we see that a lot, you know, you know, we recently lost uh, Kobe Bryant, you know. In yeah, state. exactly. Yeah. I was going to say. That. And I think, and, and I mean, he's definitely, you know, not the first, but um, that it's just so normal for collective grief. There's a sense in which I think sometimes people feel sort of permission, hmm. finally, to feel their feelings, you know, and, and that sometimes I think it can it can feel disproportionate. I mean, not to say that people weren't truly sad about Princess Diana or Kobe Bryant, and, and, and truly both of those things are so sad. Yeah. And, and also we often, you're, you're absolutely right that um, I would say, like, people aren't allowed to grieve, but people are also just not allowed to feel emotions, and people aren't allowed to name trauma, and people aren't allowed to feel. Like, we... We have, as a culture, um, you know, and I think in some ways Britain and, and the U.S. have some similarities probably in this, that it's sort of a, like, a pick yourself up by your bootstrap kind of mm. mentality, you know, which is a lot of kind of even what I was thinking about in, in my book, Joy Softer, I, you know, I talk about the white knuckling. And, yeah. and that's, a, that's I, I'm, I'm thinking of something very similar, like those things are very related, I think, in the sense of, that it's different than hard work. Where hard work, I think, is um, we need to be able to work hard. You know, like that's a, that's a that's a even. I think we need meaningful work in our life. But but this concept of pushing things down and suppressing and numbing and no matter what, I'm just not going to feel it, is so related to our nervous system. And the reality is, is that pain demands to be felt. It just it does. Oh, and I love that quote. Yeah. Yeah, I, for, I forget who, who quoted it. I, I, I remember it from a film called, uh, and it was a book as well, The Fault in Our Stars, Pain oh. Demands to be Felt. And that film yeah. is all about, again, it's about grief. Like, there's grief in that. Like, um, And it, it's all about suffering and like living with the reality of your own impending death as well as other people's. Like, um, And that, that quote, yeah. Pain demands to be felt. It's so true. Yeah, and so I think that's why, you know, this whole concept of, it's related to reparenting, but compassionate attention is such a big concept. I think even for folks who maybe wouldn't identify with the childhood trauma piece, that when we are gentle with ourselves in the face of pain, we are more, we are able to move through pain. Like, that is... You know, even like an exa- a great example is that, you know, our, um, like when we practice self-compassion, um, like for example, even just like some self-touch, like putting our hands on our heart and, and just noticing our breathing, that what that begins to do is it releases oxytocin in our body and that is able to actually interrupt um, it, it, the, that fight or flight, cortisol release, um, it is part of our mammalian caregiving system that allows us to stay connected for our brain to stay connected to ourselves. And that's actually what's required for us to move through pain, for it to not become trauma. We have to stay, our, our full brain needs to be connected. And so, you know, I think it's so ironic how people are like, it's weak to be gentle, um, compassion is weak, um, don't be soft, you know, because they, they, people see that as a criticism. 
And the reality is, is that science and research show us how resilient compassion and gentleness makes us. And I just think, what a beautiful invitation for folks who are grieving, who feel um, really stuck in their grief. That what would it look like for you to give the, the parts of yourself that feel so overwhelmed, so unable to do anything with the grief, to nurture those parts of yourself? Mm. Make that part of yourself a cup of tea. Get her a cozy blanket or him, you know. Um, get, uh, take her out for a walk. You know, what is the song she needs to hear so she can so she can feel the feeling connected to the thing that she's so afraid to feel? Who's the friend who will actually listen and not try to fix you? Like, mm. these are the things that facilitate the movement of the grief. Yeah, absolutely right. I this is a, this is a practice I have when I'm feeling like I need to let let out a bit of grief, like a bit of. Mm. I, I have a I actually have a set of songs on on my Spotify playlist, and I know to go to those songs or to a particular song, and that will allow that will kind of unlock a little bit of that grief, allow it to come out in a healthy way. Mm. Allow you know I can just have a little cry. Um, or just get a bit emotional, or just release, release whatever it is inside, mm. and it's and be in touch and be connected to it again without it without it having that power to control me, but feeling it. Uh, and it is such a good thing to do. Like I mean, music. I don't know, don't know if that is if it, if it works for everybody, but for me, that's that's a really good way of of doing that. And if you, if you can find a practice that allows you to do that. Yeah. Like that's yeah. really good. I mean, I can do that on my desk at work. If I'm working and I'm feeling a bit like you're bound up like that, I'll just I'll literally just get a, get 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 my Spotify out and and find a song and it'll just get that stuff out, you know. And it really so yeah. I'd recommend that's that's something to try if you haven't tried it before. Yeah. Well, the other thing I would just say is that you know for folks who are are feeling a little bit. Um, disoriented with their grief like what do I even how do I even start I think one thing that can be helpful is to find a ritual and and to find give yourself permission to anchor yourself in a ritual as part of your grief you know so you know I know for and it can look so different depending on your story and what you're grieving um but like if someone is grieving a death of someone too you know, maybe it's for a time to be able to go to the gravesite and to light a candle and to say a poem once a month until it feels appropriate for that to be different. Or maybe it's, you know, um, for those of us who experience the ambiguous loss type of grief, maybe it's getting a picture out of your younger self and reading um, him or her a letter Um and, mm. you know, and then doing something that feels connected to that younger self. Like, it's like, now now I'm going to take myself to um, the park and go swing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, a little bit. And yeah. Then just honor, like, I see you, younger self, you know? And so, I mean, I'm just saying these things off the cuff. But I think there's a lot of value in ritual 
around things that maybe were never seen. Maybe no one ever acknowledged your loss. So one of the things that you can do to sort of advocate and love yourself now is to acknowledge the loss in a visible, tangible way. Absolutely. That is, that's really, really great wisdom there. Um, yeah. And I'm just thinking about that myself. And like, that one of the ways I think one of the ways I do that is by watching TV shows that I liked as a kid. So I go and watch a cartoon that I used to watch, or, or like, you know, or some show like Night Rider or something that, yeah, you know, I, I loved as a kid, and like, you know, there's a certain innocence in 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 those shows, and you can just go and watch and enjoy them, and like, just go back into, and almost sit with your child, mm-hmm. as well, and just like enjoy it together, almost. Um, that's something that I've done, um, and it's. And again, you, know, you say it's, it's, what, it's whatever works for you. Like, yeah, it could be it'll be different for everybody. It depends on your story. Like, there may be a place that you can go that a physical space where you can go, which reminds you of them, um, where you can just sit peacefully and you know um, think back to things um, and and grieve. You know, um, it's yeah, it's different for everybody. And having those practices is really really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, I mean, what are, what practices do you use, like, for example, that, that, that help you process your, your grief? Yeah. Um, you know, I, music is also really powerful for me, and there are a few times of year, um, that I tend to experience higher amounts of grief, like holidays are one for me, um, and I have... Um, a ritual of going on a walk and listening to sad songs and just giving myself permission to just feel whatever comes up with that. Um, another one for me is that I actually have my birthday coming up. And oh, I, have, same. I love my birthday <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, there's good things about my birthday, but there are parts of my story that are actually really connected to my birthday that have a lot of grief connected to that. And so what I've learned to do, um, one of the things that I usually do is I take myself out to lunch um, and I, I take some time just to reflect and, and a lot of times that might look like journaling or doing something like that. And it's like I'm with myself. It's like I am celebrating myself um, as a way, like that feels just like a there's a part of a grief to that, but it's also celebration. Like I think... A lot of times for me, what I have noticed in my life, and again, this doesn't always happen, but I have noticed that points of my ritual and turn into, like, the joy and the grief have a very thin line. Um, they meet each other often. Um, and, and that's why I often feel like grief work is such sacred work. Like, there's just this fullness of emotion. Because we usually grieve things because they matter, right? And so... When we grieve them well, that joy, I believe, is more available to us. And so, like, for my birthday, the joy of, of getting to be alive is available to me. When I grieve some things in my story that were hard, I am able to see how proud I am of myself. And that causes me joy. And so I just have found that, you know, whether it's death 
or, or ambiguous losses or relational things, I find that as we lean in and move into the process, um, it's so much deeper and richer and fuller um, because we are willing to let the pain have a seat at the table. Oh, that's beautiful. Let pain have a seat at the table. I absolutely love that. Yeah, and it's so important to... It's one of the things I, I, I just can't talk about enough is allowing yourself to feel your pain and go into your pain and confront it and don't give it... Because when you don't confront your pain or your grief you're giving it the power to control you you're giving it power over you you're almost surrendering to it it's it's you're just because you're not in touch with it so it can do what it likes um whereas if you're confronting it then you're owning it and you're you're taking power away from it yeah and you're i mean you still got to feel it like you've got to the only way you can rob pain of its power in a way is to feel it yeah (laughs) And I think I think a really good visual for it sometimes is actually just to befriend it. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's sort of like because it, because when we fight it, <laughs> you're it, like exactly what like what you're saying. It actually will just get louder and it will get stronger because it, it's yelling at us. It's like feel me, feel me, like whatever it takes, feel me. But when we, I I, I often think of it like this: is like we're in a chair. And we, and we just sort of scoot up to the pain. And it's like, okay, what do you need? What is it that you need so you can be felt? Like, and that's, that's where those things that we talked about earlier, you know, like the music or the comfort or whatever, it's like I often find that's the gap between being able to feel the pain or not is that we lean in with that compassion. And we say, you're safe here. You can feel it here. I will stay with you. I won't leave you. I won't run from you. I won't shame you. I'll be with you as, as you feel the pain. And it's so interesting how there's, that allows us to then move through the pain. Mm. Oh, wow. Well, this has been so amazing. It's so good. I love talking about grief because... It helps me grieve and helps me understand my own grief. But I think, you know, the more we have conversations about grief, the more we can learn to sit with it and that it's actually okay to feel that way and we can learn to recognize it in ourselves. Um, So what would be, like, to close, what would be... Of all you've learned and all you've experienced, what would be the biggest lesson about grieving well or about grief generally that you have learned and that you would want to pass on to other people? Mm. I think it would be that that there's nothing wrong with you for feeling grief. That is a normal part of being human. And that your grief simply shows how much people and life and experiences matter to you and that you are invited and have full permission 
you lean in with compassion to your humanity so that you can move through your grief. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you, Wendy. Um, and if you want more pearls of wisdom from Wendy, check her Twitter feed. It is by it is my favourite Twitter feed. <laughs> I've said I've joked on Twitter several times about creating a a a list of just you, <laughs> so I can go through all your tweets, like because every tweet is a pearl of wisdom and it's so encouraging and. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so follow Andy on on Twitter. She's Andy Colber, I think. Is yep, Andy Colber, and I'm also on Instagram at Andy Colber. Fantastic, and make sure you get that book. Try soft stuff you haven't already. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on the show again, and thank you for talking about this. This is this has been such a great conversation. Mm, you bet, it's been a pleasure. And definitely, we'll have you back again sometime too. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll talk again soon.